podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, and what a game we've just seen. We're, we're doing one of our... feels like a while since we've done this, our sort of immediately after a final record, immediately after the Welsh Open final, and we've just seen Rob Milkins win uh, an amazing match, amazing tournament, amazing story. And the Welsh Open, we were just saying before I came on, keep churning out these stories. The last three have been monumental affairs, I'd say. Absolutely correct word to use, because Jordan Brown was special enough uh, what a guest he was last time. Thank you to Jordan. Winning the title in 2021, uh, one of the great surprise stories. Then Joe Perry, 12 months ago, Phil, how emotional was that? And as you just been saying off air, probably or arguably even more emotional tonight for Rob Milkins. I mean, I don't think there can be a snooker person out there not heartened by this. This is another story, isn't it, of a player in their autumn career-wise, that has produced something very special. And it, this is almost takes it up a level from some of the other ones, really. When you think about some of the uh, the personal sadnesses Milkins has gone through, the tough times on the table. I mean, just a year ago, we know what happened in Turkey, of course. And I'm going to sound like I'm obsessed with Road to Damascus moments now. But <laughs> actually, I am obsessed with Road to Damascus moments, in truth. Um, I'm not saying Rob had one of those recently, but it, it would have been maybe a chance to reshape things in his, in his mind. Who knows what a year he's had since then. I mean, winning in Gibraltar. And this, frankly, didn't come from nothing at all. He's been showing good form lately. But to, to blitz his way to the title, I mean, just just marvellous. Beating Sean Murphy 9-7 in the final. Murphy would have started as, as favourite, no, no question, for, for his sort of status in the game and indeed the way he was playing a lot during the week. But... Milkins really took it to him, didn't he, Phil? And uh, he was a good winner in the end. I mean, again, we, we were just saying before we came on that, you know, there was no wilting with the finishing line in sight, quite the quite to the opposite. He, he, he surged for it, won it 9-7. And Sean was saying he wasn't quite at his sort of best standards, and, and he wasn't, but I still thought he played okay, frankly. And I think the story for me is giving credit to the winner. I think Milkins really... Played well from 3-1 down, especially this afternoon. And then the breaks he knocks in tonight, he really made important contributions when it mattered. And frankly, he was just the better player on the day and the right winner on the day. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Murphy was looking the stronger early on. Um, he certainly he won, was he 2-0 up, 3-0 up? 3-1 um, up, yeah. Um, and yeah, things neither really had settled then. Um and yeah, they finished the afternoon session four four, didn't they? But yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think Murphy played badly. He was obviously disappointed because he, yeah, he couldn't play better. We'll come to this later. We, he showed how well he could play early in the tournament when he played as well as anyone can play, really. So he will have been disappointed. Um, and I was, he certainly didn't mean it to take anything away from Rob by saying he didn't play his best. But yeah, he didn't play his best. And Rob was Rob was deserving. He made some great breaks, but Murphy did as well. That I think it was to go six seven. Murphy made an amazing 64 and then a century after that. Um, so, yeah, the evening session, neither were wilting under the pressure, I didn't think there. The evening session was much better than the afternoon session. Um, and the break Milkins made to win it was brilliant as well. Um, it was the first red, wasn't it, um, where he was sort of tight on the top cushion into the middle. 
Oh, that's so difficult, <laughs> so, uh, especially under that pressure. So, yeah, amazing game. Um, yeah, I mean, just looking at the breaks, I mean, they were they were both sort of talking down how well they played, but I think they both played pretty well, if not really well, given the circumstances with what was on the line. So, yeah, spectacular stuff. And as you say, very emotional. Um, if anyone's not read that piece I did with Rob last year after Gibraltar, he talks through all... It's sort of the tragedies he's gone through in his life uh, with his family, and it's is the people, the, his two friends there, Mandy and Dean, who he was um, dedicating the trophy to, have um, been massively influential. And it was uh, it was hard not to sort of well up if you didn't know that story, but if you do know the story behind it, it was uh, very emotional indeed. So yeah, amazing stuff. And uh, even even Ali Carter, who not because he's a heart doesn't man, but because. Milkins winning took that 150 grand off Carter. Even Carter was tweeting saying um, he means from the bottom of his heart that he's delighted for, for Rob and what a guy and stuff. So, yeah, it's unanimously um, goodwill towards the champion. Very much so. It's tears to a glass eye, Phil, if you're a snooker <laughs> fan. It really is because it seems to be so often on these Sunday nights we have these 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 special stories and yeah, you're right. We are more involved than most. Certainly, you know, some levels we know some of these people involved, of course, we write about them. But, you know, frankly, all you need to be is a fan and enjoy this sport to know something about what these guys have gone through. And it just, it's so heartening. And it, it just doesn't feel like what he's done this season, if you like, or the, or the last sort of four or five years. It feels like this is sort of 30 years in the making. That That's what it's about, <laughs> isn't it? it it's decades in the making. And, you know, I think he's 46 now, Rob, nearly 47. And this is the biggest win of his life, you know, by a mile. I mean, Gibraltar was, was was great. You know, of course, a landmark success. But there's nothing beats this. Two-session final, home nations event. Great crowds in Clanted. No, we should say that from the off. What You know, what terrific, uh, you know, success it was hosting the event there. I, you know, I, I've been one of those been very clear in saying that I think it's a really big deal taking that tournament away from South Wales. I think South Wales is a hugely significant part of the UK. And that was a big, big decision to do that. But listen, Cladilla deserves a tournament for as long as it wants. When when it delivers <laughs> a setting like that, crowds like that, and we've you know we've we've been certainly been receiving messages throughout the week, and I've been seeing all on forums that people that have been saying they love it and. What really comes over is it's a proper sort of snooker town. And I, and I love those venues we go to in the season where some of the places, frankly, are too big and the snooker gets eaten up. You know, maybe in our own little pocket it might be, you know, significant. But it feels like most of Clandidno, certainly sort of on the seafront there and the, around the venue, in the bars and the restaurants, snooker talk. And I love that sort of feeling about it. So this was just a, a great night, we should say, of course, as well. And I, I've been... I wouldn't go as far as saying outspoken. I, I've thrown it out there um, tonight that I, I'm not the, I don't think the biggest fan of, of the Bet Victor bonus, I'll be honest. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll have that debate tonight. Maybe, maybe we won't. But you, you have to say, I, I said it, it felt a bit golfy. Um, but what, what the big difference is, to be fair, is that the golfers are mostly as, as rich as Croesus anyway. So frankly, you know, whether Rory McIlroy or Dustin Johnson with another million quid is not the most, you know, appetising thing ever. But for Rob Milkins, this is a kind of life-changing thing. I mean, you know, it could be argued the 80,000 was plenty big enough, uh, you know, the 150 grand could go um, 
to, to, to better places. I mean, who am I to, to be the judge of where it goes? But maybe we'll have that debate now, maybe we won't. But either way, let's just say personally for him, massive. You know, 150,000 for topping that Bet Victor series. As you say, he took it from Ali Carter tonight, plus 80,000. We know from the piece you wrote and other pieces about Rob how much he has struggled financially, one of his struggles, and how much of a concern that was even well, a year ago and a bit more. So this is just huge, huge for him, isn't it, Phil? And seeing him with the family tonight, as I say, it's just emotional scenes. And, you know, your heart goes out to him for the problems he's had, but now he's just having the most special night. And how long will the party go on tonight? Hours and hours. <laughs> deep into the Welsh night. Well, he, I saw him on the Eurosport and... Uh... He's got his family with him and then he's already turning on to the Players' Championship. So he was saying it, well, he said it won't be a massive one tonight. We'll, we'll oh, see. Of course, you've got that. Yeah, no fair. Yeah. No, but, yeah. but I mean, I don't know. It'll be, it might be hard to contain it, but uh, he'll, <laughs> uh, he'll certainly uh, he'll have a delayed party at some stage if it isn't tonight, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, I think I agree on the bonus front that it sort of feels a bit gauche when there's the whole sort of talk about how players down the rankings are struggling a bit quite a lot and even not that far down the rankings necessarily. So with the idea of just sort of someone who's earned loads and loads this season, earning loads more is a bit hard to swallow for a lot of people. But when it's, when it's someone like Rob Milkins in this situation, I think it becomes a lot easier to swallow. You know, if Mark Allen had won it, nothing personal to Mark Allen, but he's won so much cash this season. That would have been less, um, well, it would have just gone down less well, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, we can have that chat now if about that that bonus. I think we've been brought up quite a lot on social media. So Peter Devlin made that very good point. Mark Williams was saying the same um, about maybe it should be spread out a bit more. But obviously, I think Betfic to put that bonus in because they sponsor all those eight events and they want to do their best to attract all the top players to all of them. Um, and that's their reason for it. So they wouldn't do that you know, putting on another tournament wouldn't achieve that goal. But certainly if you if they had an extra tournament on top, they were sponsoring that as well. You know, that's a, that's a good thing as well. I was thinking about this and no idea. What the, I was just musing about this to myself on a dog walk earlier. But if they had 150 grand to put in and do a tournament, which would be great for snooker and would do a, get good coverage and be seen as very positive, you could do a 150 grand tournament for... The, the top 16 players, 21 and under or something like that. Call it the Beck Vixter ne- Next Gen series or something. And it's just for the youngest players in the game. Um, so that, I mean, that's the kind of thing people are talking about where just giving other people opportunities um, with the money that's floating around. But yeah, as I say, the fact that Milkins won it, I think people have less problems with it than if someone else had won it. So um, yeah, it's down to the sponsors in the end, isn't it? But definitely... I can see why people would want it to go elsewhere. Well, I'll tell you who is hoping that he has a big night, and that's Tom Ford, who, who <laughs> yeah. will come to the, the draw. Of course, I've forgotten that they go straight to the Players' Championship. This is the beauty of this time of the season, Phil. We go from event to event. Yes, uh, it feels a bit different for Milkins, it has to be said, but I, I personally never really like this bonus that much, if I'm honest, but... Uh, most people seem to quite like it and quite like the sort of extra layer of sort of drama it produces. I think my issue has come through a little bit this week is that the Welsh Open is such a special tournament and there always seems to be a bit more talk about this bonus at times than mm. the Welsh Open. And I think, well, I know we said it at times here, listen, we love the layers and 
you know, as a big golf person, I can say that Snooker's taken a lot of ideas from golf. Barry Herman have admitted that. He jokes, I think he may be with us, when he said, like, all my best ideas, I've stolen them. And, uh, you know, we maybe can't quibble with the little bits we don't like when so many of the things haven't been successful, like the 32, the 16, the 8 event on ITV. Um, I don't know if we haven't got enough layers without, you know, deciding which player's going to earn a massive amount of money on top rather than another I don't know. It's not. It's not the most seemly element of the season for me. But listen, it's one of those where I'm probably not going to lose sleep over it. Uh, and you know, we'll open the debate up to others, Phil, and see what they think. You know, talking snooker at, at yahoo.com, or indeed you can uh, tweet us at talking snooker. Yeah, I, I, I was about fifty-fifty. I've got to be honest. I think it was about fifty-fifty on people that said no. It's really exciting. We like the extra layer. Um, no problem with it at all if Betvich wants to do that. And of course, that's true. But certain people definitely saying, no, I think, you know, Nick, you're not alone. It, it, it's something that doesn't particularly appeal well to me. Joe Perry was actually one of those that said that. Um, and he said Peter Devlin came out earlier in the week. It, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's such a lot of money. But anyway, we, we, we'll maybe move on from there for now and just say, you know. I think what I love, my last thing on that would be that, yeah, that, like that idea I had and people saying, oh, you can put another tournament. Like if there was something else to do with that money, then fair enough. But there might there might not be. And if it's that if it's that money in the bonus or nothing, I'd mm. take the bonus. <laughs> you know, I'd rather a snooker player one hundred and fifty grand than no one one hundred and fifty grand, which is just coming from a bookmaker. I'd rather the snooker player at it than a bookmaker at it. So <laughs> if the option is the bonus or nothing, I'd take I'll have the bonus. Um, but in my mind, if it, if there was one hundred fifty grand to go it's somewhere else in the game, that might be more appealing, but that might not even be an option. So it's if, a fair if... point. And, and and certainly people have you know might have intimated to me, you know, you have to be careful about talking about money not being in the game that's there currently and it might not be there at all type thing. And I get that point. But um yeah, no, it's certainly an interesting debating point. And I think it's for you know it's something that's been on my mind for a while and it's just sort of a bit of a came to a head this week. And I think it happened that it coincided with the Welsh. It's so special mm. and it seemed to be such an obsession for people. And it's something I didn't, I don't quite share if I'm honest, but listen, mm. what we can say is that was some story again. And uh, we had a return of the, the close finals feel. We felt a bit short. Yeah. We're getting a few in the back now, nine, seven tonight. I would have thought it would have done good business on television. That ended at a nice time and, Lots of drama into the night. Always looked the likelier winner, Milkins, as the night went on. But, of course, Sean, yeah, so so right to mention that break of, I think, 64 from Sean. Uh, I said this before. Well, one of the many, many, many things I love about snooker is that sometimes I think a screenshot can say more than a video. And I think this was one of those examples. I put a screenshot up of the table when Sean started. And how he made that, I just don't know. I mean... Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind, he also had unfortunate run of the balls about three or four times. He kept playing very aggressive shots and not getting the run and still pulling pots out. It was quite something. And, you know, it made me think, and I answered this for a while, and I re- it strikes me a lot. I-, I sometimes can't go over how aggressive players are. They're constantly on the front foot. They really are. There was no sign of, of Murphy sort of, you know, I'll play it cagey, you know, I'm falling a bit behind it. Just going for everything. Milkings as well. And Ronnie, I felt, said it this afternoon, Monio Sullivan and Eurosport. There's something so appealing about Milkings, isn't there? He, he sort of sort of devil made K compared to Drago, actually, at one time. And that then said, actually, you know, Drago was a kind of lot quicker and a lot madder, frankly. But <laughs> it's that similar 
vibe at times where Milkins will he will chuck a bad shot in. Berger was saying he will. He, that's always in his locker mm. more than maybe the average player. But then he'll pull something out. He'll do it quickly. And you think, bloody hell, how do you do that? And 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 Bonnie and Jimmy were saying, yeah, it's very hard to play against someone like that. They're so unpredictable. And sometimes you wonder why Milkies hasn't done done more. But but again, you know, the vagaries of form are so interesting. It to me, he looks like a different person. I texted you this in the week, didn't I? He mm. almost looks like a different person. He has got a real swagger about him at the moment, and a kind of like. I don't know, he just sort of dominates the table. He's got a sort of, I decide what happens on this table type vibe is the way I, I put it, I think, on social media. And I love that about him at the moment. It's so good to see. And do you know, am I right in thinking this could put him in the top 16? Or, yeah, or, I think uh, the way people are talking about it, I don't know if it's guaranteed, but I think it it looks that way, yeah. So, he, I mean, that's massive if he gets straight to the group, yeah. isn't it? There's, there's not that many more events to go. So he's obviously sniffing on the sort of dividing line. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, time and time again about that word trappings has come up a lot tonight. Lot, so many trappings from this, of course. The champion of champions. Would he be in the tour? Would be close enough, wouldn't he? Mm, yes, yeah, yeah. Would be in that? Uh, of course he would, with, with winning as much as this, yeah. So, you know, this is brilliant. You know, you wouldn't believe Bill could have been the tour championship, would you, frankly, if no. someone said that? It's just, it's amazing, really. And and we'll come to the players later and players championship and some of the players that are missing from that and it's yeah it's quite a story. But Phil, what a great week we saw, didn't we? we you know, it was just a, a brilliant tournament. I mean, we love the home nations. You always say, you know, the stories come bam bam bam. We never get bored. I mean, how, how do we start for for, for highlights? I mean, maybe Ronnie O'Sullivan and his tip that that kept us going for about four or five days, didn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of tip chat. Yeah, I mean, he, his first game he got through it and nothing happened. He sort of breeze past Ollie Lyons, didn't he? But then it all sort of started kicking off against Ross Muir. Um, came off, tw- literally kicking off. <laughs> came off twice. Um, he was really struggling. Um, just got over the line 4-3. There was that mad thing where he gave away the the sixth frame because uh, it was it was, it was was quite confusing because it wasn't... It, it, I thought he was snookered or he said he thought he was snookered as well. And then it was pointed out to him that he could hit the red... And then he just had that mad lash at it. I'm sure everyone's seen it, but it was it was mad, really. Um, I mean, ugh, I always enjoy seeing sort of crazy things that you remember, but it, it was it was a mad thing to do. Well, and not only say, that, but it was one of the whoppers of the season uh, with him claiming he had no other shot. I mean, he had about 20 other shots. Oh, yeah, he certainly had other shots, well, yeah. so many things. I mean, or he could have just played that shot. better. Yeah. But I don't know, people think it's disrespectful to Ross, but I don't know if, if I'm sure if you're his opponent and you're saying, oh, he wants to give you away frames when you'd have to do anything, I'll take the disrespect and I'll take the frame. Thank you very much. I imagine that's what they'd say. Uh, but he got through it. Then it came off again against Lawler, didn't he? got through that. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of tip chats, but it all came. It, it did really well, to be fair, to get to the quarterfinals with all that going on. Um, but then it all sort of spectacularly fell apart from there. Um, but yeah, going back early on, um, early stories. Liam Davies winning, I thought was a remarkable thing because um, he just got back off the plane pretty much straight away from Australia, playing in the WSF events, um, which he hadn't managed to win. I think he'd gone deep in the junior and the full one, but hadn't got over the line. And he came back to play Nopon, which is a really hard game for anyone on tour, really, and to beat him 4 3. Um, amazing stuff. And 
I think he said afterwards it showed what the pressure was like when he just was coming in with a free hit here, not expected to win. Whereas in Australia, he was playing for a tour card and was expected to do well. The difference how he, how he could play, but it was a, yeah another amazing win for the sixteen year old. No, definitely, and I haven't got extensive notes here, but but the one note I did make was Dominic Dale beating Neil Robertson four 0 in the last sixty four. Mm. I mean, that is a you know is a mighty result and feeds into this continuing narrative that Neil's just not having a good season, frankly, by his standards. Um, and I, I've certainly seen some. Some people say let's not over-exaggerate that, and that's also fair. You know, he's, he's got deep at a lot of events. We are comparing it by his very, very high standards. But, um, but there, but you know, but he's certainly not not quite at the races. Now, I, I've been away for the last week. I've been in Malta, Phil, and I was just saying to you that um, I watched a lot of German Eurosport coverage um, in, in my hotel, and I did notice, that, you know, that, that thing that people say is you – and I'm not really complaining, it's just an observation, but I was sort of with that main channel coverage and you realise how much you saw of Ronnie and Selby. Those two, Every night I was going back to see those two. I didn't know it's that. But again, if you're a broadcaster, you're going to show them, aren't you? They're, they're marvellous players. So I saw an awful lot of those two. I mean, that Mark Selby see dry here, I mean, that was... Um, you needed a, a medal, if you say that, to watch the end of that. I think it was gone past 1am, gone past 2am for me in Malta. So I, I didn't I didn't last the pace on that one, even though I'm, I am something of a night owl. Eventually, Mark, Mark won that 4-3. Uh, but then Milkins beat Selby, didn't he, 4-2 in the last 32. So that, that was an, an early sign of how well Milkins was playing. And of course, he went all the way to the title. Uh, Daniel Wells as well, beating Judd Trump 4-2 in the last 32. And a very gracious Judd. Now, he doesn't always get respect. People say, oh, you know, come on, Judd, give give respect to your opponent. But he was really fulsome in his praise there. Um, not quite as kind as Ronnie O'Sullivan was about Daniel Wells, now I think about it. And th- that, that uh, comments that may may not have, um, well, certainly did not please and Daniel. And upset him, I think, somewhat. Ronnie saying that he didn't think he was quite up to it. But so all sorts of things were happening, aren't we? That, that's what we're saying, as usual in these home nations. All sorts of stories coming all the time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just go up there. I mean, I watched Judd beat Louis Heathcote in the previous round, and that was a great game. Really, Heathcote should have won. He looked brilliant, um, just didn't quite get over the line. Um, and then Judd lost to Daniel, yeah, and that was an amazing game, really. Judd was looking pretty comfortable. He missed a really, really easy black when he was just sort of looking like he was clearing up to go 3-0. And then that was it. He lost that frame and lost 4-2. Um and yeah, Ronnie said those things, and um, I'm sure everyone's read it, but uh, I thought it was typical O'Sullivan in terms of it was like shocking at first to hear. It was like, whoa, why has he said that? Um, and then when you sort of thought about it more, you could see where he's coming from, and it probably largely made sense, but it just sounded way worse than the way he put it sounded really bad. Because <laughs> um, I think he was, he, he was sort of, saying Wells is playing his best snooker at the minute, which I think Wells said himself um, he's probably playing the best snooker of his career when he's as an amateur and he gets to play in the pro events and, you know, he proved that by beating Judd Trump and beating Matt Selt to get there as well. He's been playing a lot of Championship League stuff. Um, And then, yeah, it just sounded really, really brutal from Ronnie because Rachel said to him, well, he shouldn't, uh, yeah, because Ronnie was saying, oh, maybe he should stay part-time and just play in some pro events and, that would be the way he would enjoy it more, play his better stuff. But Rachel said, oh, but of course he wants to be a professional suit. He's got a big ambition. 
And then Ronnie just brutally said, well, he's never going to be a tournament winner. He's not good enough. So what's the point of trying that effectively? Um, which, yeah, it was, seemed really harsh because he's a very good player, Daniel Wells. If you beat Judd Trump in a big ranking event, then you're an excellent player. Um, so, yeah, that didn't go down very well with people. But I, I did sort of see this point that you can play you play better with the pressure off and as soon as you go professional and you're just playing to pay the bills, it's very, very difficult. Whereas he's clearly playing better now without that pressure. But that bit made sense. Um, but, yeah, to, to just outright say that you will, a player is never going to be good enough to win a tournament was uh, unnecessarily harsh, I thought, from the Rocket, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Daniel Wells did, did come out, didn't he, and say that, you know, he was upset by those comments, really. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was saying that Ronnie's one of his heroes. Let me actually, let me try and get some of those quotes up so we try and try and remind ourselves of those. Oh, Sullivan said he's never going to be a tournament winner. He's just not good enough. He should just stay as a part-time player. There's a lot of players on tour who can't mentally sustain it. It was I was advising him, I tell him to stay as a part-time player. Well, Wells responded by saying it was quite upsetting to hear someone who's been one of my heroes saying those things about me. There's a lot of talk about mental health in sport and comments like these are really tough to take for people. I'm quite strong as a person and I'll deal with it, but other people might not be as strong. Um, I'm taking this from other people a little bit, but I tend to agree that the thing about Ronnie is it's a bit of a pinch of salt thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm not saying in, in, in two weeks' time, I'll say Daniel Wells is looks every each tournament winner, but he, he he might do something like that. Do you know what I mean? He, he can't really exactly rely on... He, he can't always 100% guarantee... There are some... There are nuggets. There are pure nuggets from Ronnie. And when he's at his absolute level-headed best, there's an awful lot of wisdom from Ronnie. But sometimes you get the feeling it's a bit fly-by-night. He's sort of saying things to fill a bit of airspace, and next time he'll say something completely different. So yeah. that's not a defence at all. He, he probably sh- shouldn't have said this, really, but in, in the way he said it, probably. But again, we we know, you know, we the old thing about you know, you know not day to day, but sometimes it's sentence to sentence with one. He's so contradictory, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sort of factor, and and he will also always claim. Like, I didn't hear him claim this, but he'd probably just say afterwards, like, I was just trying to cheer him up and uh, encourage him to try harder and play better, um, which probably isn't true. But, yeah, yeah, you never get the impression he's put any a lot, any or... No, I was going to say a lot of thought, but you don't get the impression he's put any thought into the points he makes on punditry before he says them. Um, so, yeah, he could easily say something different afterwards. And also, he could claim, like... I mean, it depends how he says it. You know, him saying that he should remain just playing some events, not put all his eggs in the pro basket because he's playing better. You know, that sounds very silly when Wells then just goes and beats Judd Trump. But then in a way, Ronnie will say, well, that proves his point because he's playing as an amateur now and he's playing his best snooker well enough to beat Judd Trump. But if he went pro, maybe he couldn't do it because he couldn't handle the pressure. So, yeah, as I say, everything Ronnie says, you well, not everything, but a lot of what Ronnie says, however bad it sounds, there is some sort of, strange wisdom in there but yeah it was certainly put in a very bad way yeah i think we'd agree on that and what we traditionally tend to do isn't it is take people through uh results wise from the last 16 so let's let's do that then sean murphy beat daniel wells 4-1 well you alluded to it earlier i mean uh, listen to 
Sean Murphy on his own 147 pod with, with Phil Seymour saying that, you know, you just can't do better than that. And snooker players can't do better than that. 145 followed by 147 is just, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? it, it the, the quality of that, to sustain that over two frames is just absolutely breathtaking. A, a brilliant effort and we just can't praise Sean enough for that, can we? Yeah, and I think he made a really good clearance in the previous frame as well. So it was just, it was just perfection for a while. And uh, um, yeah, and Daniel, I think he won the next frame, so he did well just not to be completely sort of knocked over yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's 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 your reward, isn't it? On tour, you know, you've had an amazing result beating Judd Trim in the afternoon. You come back in the evening and get walloped like that by Sean Murphy. But um, yeah, it's as good as it. You can't play any better than that. It was amazing. It was, and actually, Phil made that point on his pod. You know, credit to Daniel for that for coming back because some guys were just poleaxed, but you know, he came yeah. back. That's the credit. That's the, 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 the it says so much about the mentality of all these guys on tour, really. Well, Joe O'Connor had a thumping win. He beat Robbie Williams 4-0. Uh, Wan Sijun beat Jack Lazowski 4-1. It was Pang Jung Soo 4, Jack Jones 2. Bonnie O'Sullivan's beat Ben Mersons 4-0. Mark Allen saw off Luca Purcell 4-2. Rob Milkins beat Hossein Vafai 4-1. And Tian Peng Fei beat John Higgins 4-1. Move on to the last eight, and it was Sean Murphy 5, Wan Sijun 0. Then what a result, Phil. Another whitewash for O'Sullivan this season. We know about the issues he had with his uh, tip and generally quite erratic kind of week, generally, from Ronnie, I think it's fair to say. But nevertheless, you don't expect him to be beaten as he was 5-0 by Tien Peng Fei. And breaks of 66, 51, 82 and 73 from Tian. So he certainly did play well. Rob Milkins beat Mark Allen 5-1. Hell of a win there for Milkins. Allen not really at the races with his own performance, but still excellent from, from Milkins. And then a real kind of late-night one again. I watched the end of this one. Pang jung Su 5, Joe O'Connor, 4. Yeah. O'Connor came back from 4-2 to 4-4 four, four, four in that. Pang winning it really good, 1-2-4 when they decided to win it. So lots for you to reflect on there, Phil, and, and those two stages. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, Ronnie, was it, what was the other one? Was it Ding, wasn't it? At the UK? Ding at the UK, yeah, lost 6-0. Oh. And... Yeah, mad. I mean, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't sort of zoned in, which was strange. He wasn't like completely reckless. He wasn't not trying at all at all. But um, by by the quarterfinals, sometimes he's really sort of thrashing around in the first round or two of these emotions. But um, by the quarterfinals, I really didn't expect him to have any problems there at all. And um, he did. And Tian played very well, to be fair. As you say, he made a load of half centuries um, and looked really solid. Um, yeah, it was. A very, very odd one. Um, and I watched all of that O'Connor Pang match on the Friday night as well. I was oh, really invested in Pang. I'm sure <laughs> people would have noticed that I did that sort of wild suggestion that he was going to win this um, because he got to the quarterfinals of the Gym Masters and that was his first ranking quarterfinal, much like Jordan Brown and uh, Fang Zhengyi did. Uh, so I thought it was written in the stars. And I had a couple of quid on him at 125 to 1, so I was getting quite excited. Uh, when he got to the semis. Um, and he's just a really good player. Like That wasn't completely random. Um, been very impressed with him. Um, he's sort of a bit sort of Yang Bing Tao-like in that he's a young player that powers in a lot of long pots, but he's he's very sensible and ha- ha- happy to sort of get involved in the safety and tactical side of it. 
Uh, doesn't take any of the silly things on. I think he sort of he runs out of positions sometimes. He won't have a go at a difficult one. He'll just play safe, which is he's very disciplined. But yeah, that game was uh, a slog, let's say. Um, but he won it won it late night, set up the semi final with Murphy, and um, yeah, like you said, with Milkins as well. I mean, what a tricky run that is. Um, first couple of rounds, say so Dean Young in his first round in in Wales, but then Selby and then Vafai, and then Allen. Just to get to the semis, yeah, take some doing. Absolutely, yeah. You're on good form, actually. Now I think about it, because I think you're underselling yourself. That point you made early, I think a few of us were like, "Bloody hell, you might be right here." He kept going through it round by round, didn't he, Pang uh, Jung Su? And um, yes, I think you had a nice turn of phrase about that Friday night match, saying you've had better Fridays. Um, yeah. Anyway, we've all had days like that watching, and nights like that watching snooker. There seem to be a lot of quite long matches in this. The ones that sort of like you, you're suddenly realizing, oh, wait a minute, it's like 10 o'clock and it's like, you know, <laughs> t- 2 1 or 3 2. <laughs> like, they seem to be sort of all or nothing. There was like a lot of them and then a lot of whitewashers. There was didn't okay. seem to be much in the middle. No, true. That's there was a fair few of the, the other way as well. Well, semi finals were relatively comfortable for the winners. Robert Milkins beating Tian Peng Fei 6-2. Sean Murphy beating Pang Jung-Soo 6-3. And uh, I think the experience told in both those, didn't it, really? They were half-decent affairs, and the the losing players certainly had their moments in those matches and their chances. But I think in the end, we got the final most of us were expecting. And it gave us, you know, this very exciting day with Milkins, the champion, winning 9-7. Um, Joe, we must give credit to Tian Peng Fei and Pang Jong for getting that far, of course, mm. and uh, say that you know that was a re- really valiant effort. But in the end, it was uh, well, it was the, it was the two Englishmen that got through, wasn't it, Phil, and uh, gave us a you know a really smashing climax. One of those where you know, most people, you know, as I say, would have made Murphy favourite, but there were there was no apps. You know, you you needed convincing, didn't you? You you, you certainly thought the way Milkins was playing and you know, the monkey off his back of winning that in Gibraltar. You, you, were, you were certainly not, not counting Milkins out by any stretch. No, not at all. I'd be surprised if anyone thought like that. Um, yeah, definitely right to say Pang, Pang and Tian both got their first ever semi-finals. So amazing runs. And yeah, they played they played well. Well, played all right anyway. You know, Yuan Sejong got to the semi, got to the quarters, sorry, and really sort of crumbled against Murphy. But I wouldn't say that Tian played all right against Milkins, just lost. And Pang really made it really scrappy. And, uh, yeah, it was 6-3, but it felt very close throughout that match. So they were good. Um, but, yeah, the final, yeah, definitely. You, you wouldn't have been, because, as I say, he's been some great players. Selby, Vafai and Allen, back-to-back-to-back. <laughs> to back to back. And, as you said before, coming into this, you know, semi in Germany, this wasn't out of the blue. Um, and with the trophy last season as well. So there was plenty of reasons to be uh, hopeful as a, if you were a Milkins fan. And... Uh, as, yeah, definitely Murphy was the favourite. Um, but, yeah, close. It seemed like it would be close. Um, and it was throughout, really. And as we said before, he just a uh, brilliant way to, to get over the line in the end. So, yeah, an amazing week, really. I'm sure we've missed all sorts in that little summary, but uh, oh. I felt like an awful lot happened. It did. And just thinking about it now, we, we said, you know, Murphy hit sort of snooker perfection against Daniel Wells. And actually a couple of pun, pun I think that Ken Doherty and Darren Morgan might have both said it. 
he he never really looked quite the same. Mind you, he had a thumping when it gets one to in mind, but he, he never really. I mean, of course, they never really got to a one four five one four seven standard. Is of course he didn't, but he, he never really looked quite that convincing. Again, you're right. At times, he looked a bit patchy in that semi final. He sort of struggled to get any real fluency. And again today, so one of those where you know classic classic tournament where you, you you peak a little bit too early. But it's great to see his form back. He's looking like you know. Talk about the the demeanor that Milkins has, but Murphy's got that old demeanor back again. He's looking like you know he he's got that real confidence back, and he's such a you know a, a, a glorious player when he's when he's playing confidently. So we've got lots to look forward to for him, I'm sure, even in, in the in the events to come. And uh, maybe you'll find it's another crucible one. It's only two years, of course, since he had that you know famous run all the way to the final, Phil. So you know, lot lot lots lots to reflect on, and and a really special week. We've got the players' championship coming right up, but maybe first we'll. Have a little bit of correspondence on on what we've just seen in Wales. You, you've got. I'll, I'll, I'll give you snooker knowledge, Phil. Now I'm going for a quick walk around the block. I've got to get a couple of things. <laughs> up. I'll be back soon, mate. Yeah, this was a great email from snooker knowledge. Hi guys, fantastic show as per usual. I love the weekly chats about the brilliant game. I've been very fortunate to spend all day Monday, Thursday, and Friday at the Welsh Open in London now, and we'll be back for the final on Sunday. I'm writing this ahead of the final. A brilliant location in the heart of a wonderful seaside resort. I drove and stayed in a hotel up the road with a lot of the players. The format allows for you to see all the players and close proximity between the venue and hotel means you really do feel like you are living in a snooker world. There is no sport like it. I spoke to so many players and pundits and as per usual, they all had plenty of time for fans and to anoraks like myself who want to talk about the wonderful game. As to the venue itself, the facilities are clean and toilets are easily accessible. The bar area is huge with hot food and drink available, but I was able to nip in and out of the venue during the day to have food in the town. My only issue was with the seating plan. As with all Home Nations events, seating is unreserved up to the weekend. I do feel that dependent on ticket sales, they should reserve seats, especially for the final Friday quarterfinals. Um, ticket sales were fantastic and they could easily and they easily could have had reserve seating for the quarterfinals. But in the end, I did manage to get a seat close to the action for what turned out to the best quarterfinal between Peng and O'Connor. London No is a wonderful location, and I do hope it becomes a regular home for the Welsh Open. The whole town knew the snooker was in town, and the buzz was special. I am biased as I grew up not far from this wonderful little town, and London No will always hold a special place in my heart. And it's been great to see old friends enjoy this week as well as tomorrow's final. I've been to tournaments all over the country and nothing come close to Sheffield. But London there really was special and you felt like the town was proud to be hosting the tournament and the locals loved it. If you're ever up in London, give me a shout and I'll happily give you guys a tour and we'll love to chat about the game. Keep up the fantastic work, Nige. Well, that was a great email. Very much thanks to you, Nige. Um, and glad you had a great time. And yeah, that, that all comes across really when you're watching the tournaments there. Everyone, all the players, anyone on the punditry team or anything always says how great it is. And most important, well, I don't know who's most importantly, but very importantly, yeah, the ticket sales look great from the start. And that is often not the case at a Home Nations event. They always build up and they're always good by the weekend. But uh, Monday, Tuesday, not always the best, but they, they look brilliant throughout there. So, yeah, it's clearly, they've clearly struck gold in for a snooker venue in London now. Yeah, and it it's sort of, Maybe not surprising, but it really doesn't make a difference even on telly, doesn't it, when it's full early Definitely, on? Definitely, yeah. It makes it look and feel more special and more significant. Uh, it just makes it, you know, it just, it's just it's great. And it's it's been like that from the very word go in Clandidno. 
I can't remember which one tournament the, it would have they would have first held there. Of course, it did hold the tour, didn't it? Um, mm. Now it's moving. Whichever one it first held when they first came on the circuit, it was like from the word go, it was good. From the mm. word go, day one, you thought, oh, that's, that's busy. I always thought Coventry was like that, actually, a bit of a tangent. I was always very disappointed when that tournament left, the Champions, Champions left there. I always thought that did well from day one. It's Certain venues just have it, be it catchment area, be it advertising, a whole load of variables, I'm sure. I mean, it has got a great catchment area. I didn't know, actually, in many ways. The whole you know, North Wales. I mean, Liverpool's not too far away. Various cities of the north. I know people it's not that far from me, really, yeah. A couple of hours from Sheffield, maybe a bit longer. So, yeah, it's close to a lot of places. No, it is. It definitely is. And, um, yeah, no, that was a smashing and a, a bit flipping. It wasn't that long at all, was it, Nigel? And it gave me a chance to eat, Phil, still the world's best chocolate bar. <laughs> Double-decker. Old school, but um, <laughs> still still wonderful. No, no, no chocolate bar has ever done sort of nougat, biscuit and chocolate in one place like this one. Let's move on. Two uh, smaller uh, pieces of correspondence. Darren McGowan on Twitter. Have to say, I do like the upbeat Dominic Dale and the downbeat Darren Morgan in the BBC Wales studio. And Snooker Man on Twitter, really enjoyable tournament. Rob Milkins is so exciting to watch when he's playing at his best. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, um, I didn't see much of BBC Wales, so you, you, you can, if you saw bits, you can, you can say, I know you, you may well have watched more newer sport yourself. I mean, I, yeah, I always like seeing Dominic. I always think he's just such great value. I did see that Ronnie being a bit rude about his hair. That was quite amusing. What have you done with your barnet? Classic Ronnie, wasn't it? But, it was um, <laughs> Oh, but I must say, though, Virgo, brilliant. He kicked off tonight. I back, just got back tonight from Malta. Kicked off with a Tales of the Unexpected reference. Brilliant. One for the teenagers. First sentence. <laughs> and I'm told, I'm told reliably that he had, he had, he referenced the golden shot about a couple of days ago. I mean, that is before everyone's time. I'm surprised <laughs> it's not before. I mean, the golden shot was on television about a million years ago. Bob Monkhouse on a, on, on a Sunday afternoon, I think it was ATV, an ATV programme. And the great thing about it was, I mean, health and safety, I mean, would have a field day. I think they used to have, like, actual bows and arrows and just it was just the most dangerous, ridiculous television programme. I'd, I'd love to know which... I can't go back to look at every broadcast to find out what, how he referenced it and why, but he did. But, yeah, Virgo was on top four, no, from what I heard. So that, that was great to hear. And, of course, US Sport usual brilliance. Like, you see, I, I had the pictures of Rachel, Neil and Jimmy and everyone else. And then I, was, I think it was Rolf Kai would come straight over and talk over them in German. So it was a nice sort of interesting, different sort of vantage point of, of seeing the way, you know, the way that German viewers would, would see the action. But it looked like, you know, both broadcasters did it admirably uh, throughout the week. Yeah, definitely. I always sort of... Um... Just naturally put Eurosport on, and I did flick on BBC a couple of times, but I had Eurosport on for most of it. But yeah, I didn't watch that body bit, which was funny. Um, and yeah, Darren Morgan, at the same time, you really see him on TV. So yeah, it's interesting to have different people. The two people who, um, and I've forgotten the name, and I should really have checked, but there's a man and a woman who host the BBC Wales stuff, and they're both really good. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's nice to have the options, isn't it, to flick between? Um, but yeah, I, I always tend to just, just out of, uh, 
it's habit, really. Eurosport, even on the big ones, I've always found myself flicking on Eurosport and go and just reminding myself, oh, I could put on BBC, but just because I've got it on all the bloody time, so I just do it. But um, yeah, nice to have a bit of difference. And it was nice, you know, Dominic having that, you know, one of the best results he's probably had for years, really, whitewashing Neil Robertson. Um, so nice for him in his home event when he could really dig in and be on the coverage and talk about it as much as he could possibly do. So that was great for him. Definitely. I, I, Ian Hunt was on duty tonight, so I presume it was him that was doing that. He, he's someone, him, yeah, yeah. someone that, that, that does a lot of... I've, I've known to do quite a lot of radio. He presents a lot of the big sort of Wales football matches, football nights and what have you on the on, on the radio. But yeah, he's he's sort of the main man for that. And yeah, it's sort of, um you know, in, it, it's interesting because it's it's not a network TV event. So it, I saw someone else make this point, actually, that it's never sort of listed as a BBC event. But I mean, to all intents and purposes, it sort of is. I mean, you know, you can, you know, I mean, Hackney, I watch it tonight, no problem. We just flick on a button. Mm. I mean, I know that, you know, we mustn't be, you know, we, we must remember that some people are very old-fashioned with them watching the telly and red button and, you know, com- computers aren't as as easy to find for everybody. But but generally speaking, you know, it is available across the UK. And it was interesting, you know, I always, as, as you sort of said before, when there's two different broadcasters, it often mm-hmm. offers something a bit sort of interesting and different. So, yeah, well, I think we thoroughly enjoyed it, didn't we? Phil? I definitely say- think when it's on the BBC as well, even if it's just on BBC Wales, it's, it's really beneficial to the way the BBC cover it on their website as well. There were quite a few stories popping up on the main homepage when you flick the BBC homepage on sport homepage. With snooker on there, um, stories from Ali Carter and Dan- the Daniel Wells story and stuff, which I don't think would have got on there if it hadn't been been covered by the BBC. So, um, and you know, we know the, the like the numbers those stories get to get read when on a BBC website. So, yeah, that's all that's all great stuff as well. It is, and we should say hats off to Shabnam, shouldn't we, for, for, for mm. continuing success of the Framed podcast, including Ali Carter recently talking about how so many of the tour players are really struggling. So that was a, mm. you know, I mean, there's a great reach from the BBC and they have great advantages, but nevertheless, you know, congratulations because I'm sure without Shadman doing it, well, I, there wouldn't be that kind of access yeah. all the time. So great credit to her for that. And it's a, a really good listen every week. Um, now we should maybe move on to the players' championship field. We don't want to do a marathon, do we? That, 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 that's the mantra. Um, <laughs> So we're going to see a brilliant event. This is underway now tomorrow, not that many hours away, Monday in the UK, in Wolverhampton. And, well, these are the matches we can look forward to. They were only decided, weren't they, literally tonight. We didn't know the lineup, which is uh, not brilliant. I think a lot of people aren't too happy about that. But, again, there are only so many weeks of the season and there's so many great events to fit in. So, that you know, there were... That, this these things will sometimes happen, but it definitely feels like they suffered a little bit because they can't publicise individual matches where they are and, you know, promote it on television and what have you. But anyway, these are the matches that we now do know. It's Mark Hallam v Joe O'Connor, Luca Purcell against Jack Lesowski, Ali Carter against Judd Trump, Robert Milkins against Tom Ford, Kyron Wilson has got Zhao Yulong, it's Ding Jun Wee v Gary Wilson, Mark Selby against Sean Murphy, and Ryan Day, I guess, Chris Wakelin. Well, Selby Murphy was a recent world final, wasn't it? Um, and then they met very soon after in that very short event in, in, in Leicester, didn't they? The the, the re- yeah. 
British Open. So that that's one that really sort of leaps out. But um, lots of good matches there. I mean, Brussel Lazowski will be a cracking watch. Uh, Ali Carter will give Judge Trump a run for his money, I would have thought, in that match. And, yeah, lot go through those. Dean Drumway, Gary Wilson catches the eye as well. Loads to look forward to. We do have a one message here, Phil, from Neil Caesar, who says the Players' Championship is a disaster this year. ITV must be crestfallen. And then it says, I'll watch, of course. Keep keep up the good work, legends. How nice. Thank you, Neil. That's one of you. Um, <laughs> I think you said, you said it all, though, there, Neil, really, that you'll be watching. And listen, yeah, I've long banned the drum for saying, and this is the logical position to take, that no player is bigger than the sport. Now, Vonnie Sullivan might be the closest one to bucking that trend ever, but even he's not bigger than the snooker. No way. Nor's Mark Williams, nor's John Higgins, or anybody. So, yes, we might see a little, little bit of suffering with the viewing figures on a couple of nights when Ronnie may have been playing. But otherwise, there's loads of crackers here. So, I, I, I'm not, you know, it's a shame some of those big stars aren't there. Neil Robson, of course, another one. But there are many wonderful players that are there, Phil. So, you know, we might lament it for a day or two. Oh, what shame we're not going to see, you know, Ronnie, Neil, you know, John Mark. But when we get into these crackers, we'll, we won't forget them, but we'll soon be enjoying what is on offer, eh? Yeah, definitely. I guess it's just because this is a 16-person tournament, so you expect those guys. But, you know, if you saw most of these ties come up in another tournament, you'd be like, oh, great, that's one to watch. You know, Brussel against Lasowski, brilliant. Um, so, yeah. This, this is still going to be an excellent tournament and all the people listening to this podcast will be watching it because they're the kind of people who watch everything. But yeah, I guess I guess there's the the casual snooker fans might be less likely to flick it on if they don't have the most recognisable names, but um, we'll see, maybe not. Um, it'll be an interesting test of the viewing figures on there because it's a, these ones always do really well, don't they, on ITV4? So we'll see, how, we'll see how they do with this, but still, yeah, a brilliant... Tournament to look forward to. Um, it's funny when you see these ones because it's on the one year list, and then there's some players only that on there, and you think, How are they on there? But because they've done <laughs> the season feels a long time ago, some of those wins, isn't it? I mean, Kyron won that one right at the start of the year, yeah. He's not had a great time of it since at all, and you almost sort of forget why Joe Yulong's on that and stuff, but um, they're all done it deservedly. It's just a few months ago, um, but yeah, plenty to look forward to. Um, and yeah, Milkit Milkins coming straight off the big win against Tom Ford. And that'd be entertaining. I think maybe partly because I was in Iceland, but for that final, I also keep forgetting that Kyra won that tournament. Yeah. I think it stuck out a bit, wasn't it? Was it it was it was in August, wasn't it? And it was like, I don't know why. What it was it wasn't a great final, was it? But yeah, I keep thinking, oh, Kyra's not done much. Well, he actually has won a tournament. So he has done he has done much. You know, he, yeah. winning a tournament this season is very, very good. Um, so, so yes, you're right. And, uh, yeah, there's some guys there maybe you wouldn't expect it to be there, you know, and, but that, that all adds to the gaiety of it. And, um, yeah, there should be some cracking matches to look forward to if you're in the UK live on ITV4. And what do we say, Phil, if you're elsewhere? Check World Snooker Tour websites. They will do all the work. We don't want to, do we? We don't have any complications. So have a look on the site. They'll let you know. Cracking tournaments to look forward to. Do enjoy it over the next week. We'll be along to review it afterwards, of course. Anything more to say about the players, sir, or should we move on to the next? I don't think so. It's all good. 
Well, good. We're looking forward to it, aren't we? Well, we we must say congratulations to China's High Long Ma, who beat Stan Moody 5-0 uh, to win the WSF Championship in Sydney. Now, Stan Moody had already won the junior title, hadn't he? So he'd already guaranteed himself a tour card. Um, and indeed, Ma was guaranteed that because he was playing Moody, but nevertheless got through. And it's a great effort. And uh, got some quotes here. I was very excited to play in this final, even though I was already guaranteed the World Snooker Tour card. I was always in the back of my mind, and I wanted to take one ball at a time and to get the win. I know that in the history of this event, players from China have been very successful. And as a young player, I did not want to let China down, not only for myself, but for the other young players in our country. Yeah, I suppose without wanting to delve into the obvious things, it's probably a time when China needs some good news stories type thing. And this is clearly one. I know it's a bit of conjecture about whether Stan Moody should have played in this event, having already got the tour card. There's there's views for and against that. And I think, you know, I'm probably one that can see both sides of that, really, a bit of a fence sitter on that one. But, um, yeah, congratulations. And uh, that was a yeah, thumping one in the final. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I knew nothing about him, to be honest, beforehand. Um, and I don't know much more about him since then, uh, apart from he's clearly very good. He's 19, um, great young talent. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing him play on tour. And, uh, yeah, I was the same with you on that argument. You know, that really got a bit sort of tasty with the ones I saw online. People really um, vociferously on one side or t'other. And I, I found that quite strange because I thought it was quite clearly like there's points on both sides. Um, and whichever way you, call, you land on, like I think he should have been allowed to play as just, you know, he's gone all the way to Australia. He's still an amateur. You know, it'd be, it'd be crazy to kick off one of the one of the brightest young talents in the game, say he can't play in this tournament. So I'm glad he did get allowed to play. But at the same time, I can see that it's not ideal at all. Um, because, you know, he's as we were saying about Liam Davis earlier, saying about the pressure being very, very different for him. Um, but yeah, as much as it would have it's not ideal that he was playing, I think it would have been even less ideal to kick him out. But yeah, as I say, I was just surprised that people were so clear on any side of that because I thought it was quite obvious of what was going on on both sides of that. But yeah, um, congratulations, Hai Long Ma. Who, I don't know if you've seen a picture of him. He looks so much like Tep Chaya. <laughs> not even from the same country or anything. Um, but yeah, he's a bit of a mini me, just like Stan's a mini me for Sean Murphy. So yeah, it's good that they've come oh, yeah. through. Um, <laughs> and yeah, actually, Hai Long Ma beat Gao Yang, who'd been on the tour in the semis. So he was one of the favourites to win that event as well. So, yeah, congratulations to those two. And hopefully we'll see those other guys, Liam Davies, Liam Pullen, Yulin Boyko. I'm sure they'll be back. Um, I hope to see them too in the future. Yeah, indeed, Phil. And, uh, yeah, they joke about uh, Sean Murphy being the father, don't they, of uh, <laughs> how much they look alike. But, yes, no cracking win there in the WSF there for Hai Long Mark. Many, many congratulations. Well, you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and uh, Nick Metcalf, and we are reflecting uh, primarily in this episode on a brilliant victory for Robert Wilkins. Congratulations to him. The Milkman, as they call him. Uh, not a great one for snooker nicknames, but I quite like that one, The Milkman. And uh, he has won the Welsh Open. Uh, a second ranking event. We probably thought he would never win any, Phil, the way he was looking, and now he has two. And, uh, and as Ken Doherty said tonight, isn't that what sport's all about? And said that, you know, they say the good guys don't win, but this is proof that sometimes the good guys really do win. Well, I think we want to any other business, but there's, there's plenty of it. And I, I would like to start with with um, 
a sad line, actually, that uh, the news has come through today that uh, Dickie Davis has died. Now, for many of us, Dickie Davis was, frankly, the face and voice of so much of our sporting youth, our sporting lives. He was the uh, main face and voice of ITV's world of sport for two decades. I was saying tonight that, you know, at one time he was called Richard Davis. If you look at old world of sports schedules, but Jimmy Hill, the late Jimmy, said, you know, you should change your name to Dickie. It will make a difference. It, it, you'll be more approachable. There's a bit more, I don't know, there's there's a bit more pizzazz about the name. The, the way Jimmy put it, it, it'll make a difference. And he became Dickie Davis. And Dickie always said that, that the change was phenomenal. That, that name change was so massive. And <laughs> he was just an unflappable broadcaster, a, a, a very charismatic broadcaster. And of course, Phil, not in the general sporting sense, is very significant for this podcast and anyone that talks snooker because Dickie Davis was the main face of so many snooker events. If you watched ITV when I was growing up in the 80s, in that golden period, it would have been Dickie presenting the action on ITV. There's a great picture that I think I might put it in an article that I wrote about him when I did my Voice of the Sports series from the Derngate in Northampton. Might have been the doubles, actually. The most brown picture of all time. Dickie in a totally brown suit, brown studio, brown tape, just marvellous. You have to try and look it up. It's pure, unadulterated 80s. But he was a marvellous broadcaster. And one thing to say about our back catalogue, Phil, we had Hazel Irvin on last autumn. I don't know if you remember, I was determined to ask about her working on the 88 Olympics with Dickie Davis. And she gave a lovely, fulsome tribute to how lovely he was on the air, how supportive he was towards her, and just what a brilliant, you know, brilliant man he was, frankly. So we'll listen to Hazel talking about Dickie Davis. That's from our episode in September. But sad news. Um, and I think we always remember, don't we, Phil, those people that bring snooker to us on television, same when we lost David Vine, and just whoever it is, you know, the faces that say hello and goodbye to us for those broadcasts, we see them so often. They're saying part of the family's a bit over corny, but they're just there in the corner of the room, and it feels like they're just companions in our lives, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, and that's what Hazel has become for so many people, and yeah, that was that's what I was thinking when I heard that news. You know what she was saying about him and how influential he was on her career and life in general, really. And uh, yeah, she had such nice things to say about him. And so yeah, even <laughs> he he provided a lot to the snooker world himself, and then much through her as well, really, sort of helping on her career as well. So yeah, really sad news. And uh, yeah, thoughts and with his family and everything. No, very much so. Now, another person that we sadly did lose not so long ago was Doug Mountjoy. There's a really nice programme, isn't there, which I know we both watched, um, from BBC Wales. Now, this Legends of Welsh Sports series they're doing is brilliant. I've not seen all of them. I must catch up on the Neville Southall one. But, what, you know, if you're not, I'm sure many of you are all-round sports lovers like, like we are. They're all brilliant, the ones I've seen. And this is another example of that, the Doug Mountjoy programme. And there's so, there's so many... Great snooker people on there, Hendry, uh, Davis, Jimmy, Jimmy White, uh, Mark Williams, and lots of members of Doug's family. And one thing I really liked, of course, talking about yesteryear, I think it was Doug's daughter saying, oh, we got so excited. We used to watch the matches on CFAX. And of course, that was... Which you, we all sort of ham off as a big joke, but it wasn't... It's not really... All it was was just like a computer that's on the telly, really. It's not that different than following live scores now, but it's just a yeah, very different era. But but a lovely show, wasn't it? And some very good 
footage from the old amateur championship that I really like seeing that I've not seen before. And generally, Phil, what a lovely piece of nostalgia. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I watched it this morning. Um, and amazing stuff, you know, about him going down the mines. And yeah, he went off to South Africa to win that tournament, which I noticed it was sponsored by Hague Whiskey, which I was delighted to see. Um, and yeah, just uh, everyone says just they describe in such a nice way. So it sounds, I'd never met Doug, but sounds like a great guy, just sort of quiet, unassuming, just really nice bloke who loved snooker and um, looked great. I always think, you know, the frilly shirt's famous, but the way he wore it, though, sort of that wide waistcoat. And I don't know, in his pomp, he really looked like a sort of film star. He was a good-looking guy. So he just he, he just had a great look about him. And, yeah, amazing player. Um, and, yeah, that's well, that's well worth digging out and, and watching. Um, very enjoyable. Indeed, and you can see that programme on the iPlayer in the UK, but it has been put on YouTube, I think, now by one or one or two fans, actually. So um, if you look it up on YouTube, you will be able to see that programme there for our, our international audience. Um, talking about our international audience, Phil, we must say thanks to the good people at snookerpro.de, particularly to Lula there, for writing a really lovely review of the podcast in a special feature about all, all the main snooker podcasts out there. And there are lots of terrific ones. We really are honoured. Um, such a good morale boost for us to know people are out there enjoying the pod so much. And a nice picture of us outside the Crucible. <laughs> well, I say it's nice. I hope we didn't put people off their cornflakes. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were looking at the piece over that. But, um, yeah, me and you, with, 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 with my very small beard and your enormous one. Yeah. I think that's a nice little picture, isn't it? Um, but it's the only one we've got us to, so you've got to stick with it. But, yeah, no, thank you very much for that, Lulu. That was very uh, very nice of you to do. Um, and, yeah, great that we've got so many listening options now. There's a whole string of podcasts that Snooker fans listen to. And um, and content in general, I think, is the whole sort of uh, sport is up in its game. And that Stephen Hendry stuff yeah. is brilliant. I got round to watching the one with Steve Davis that he filmed at the Masters. And if anyone has not seen that, it's really brilliant, um, really funny. Uh, Davis cracks me up um, and then there's other ones I noticed Luca Purcell's started film, filming stuff on YouTube which is very different but um, really good obviously Holt and stuff forgot his uh, coaching stuff so there is lots going on now which um, I mean we had the youth special on here and we were sort of encouraging hoping for more and more content to spring up from all around the snooker community so yeah it's all good stuff Indeed it is Phil now we should say, shouldn't we, that we are going to be joined by Luke G. Williams uh, next week. And we really can't wait for that because this is something that we've been trailing for a while. Luke has written a book about Patsy Houlihan, who is one of probably Snooker's forgotten characters in many ways. Um, and Luke doesn't want that to be the case. He wants Patsy to be talked about more and thought about more and I know he's written a really excellent book and we can't wait can we to to sort of delve more into it with Luke and have a good discussion about that and no doubt um, talk about some of Luke's other really really good work as well so that's that's something to really look forward to Pat Houlihan uh, not somebody that, that that I know as much about as I feel I should I'm already enjoying delving into to Luke's book and next Monday he'll join us and we're, we're really looking forward to it aren't we yeah, well, it's almost sort of this mysterious character that no one's ever seen play, and that was the whole point of the book, really, isn't it? It's the best nuke play you've never seen. Um, and yeah, I've uh, Luke sent us over um, a copy, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm midway through it and really enjoying it. And I'll have finished it off by the time we speak to him on Monday. And uh, yeah, that's going to be great. I know 
a lot of people are excited about that in the new communities sort of a legendary figure but as i say almost like a mythical figure so it's very intriguing um but yeah looking forward to that one indeed and after that phil we've been teasing haven't we that we are going to be joined by one of the uk's biggest television and radio personalities we've been saying this uh, for a while now on twitter and the like and it is a man we can say that's presented some of the most famous programs in the history of television and we're not over dramatizing that we include match of the day and countdown in that and uh, not only that he currently has his own very popular nightly show on national radio and of course relevant for us here he was one of the main faces of television snooker when he so brilliantly presented coverage of the sport on Eurosport. I know many of you, if not all of you, will have guessed by now that we are going to have Colin Murray with us here on Talking Snooker very soon. Now, we're going to be doing a lot, a lot of listening, aren't we, Phil? Um, because he's a very entertaining guy, Colin. I know him a, li- a bit from from his excellent uh, columns he writes for Metro, the newspaper that I work for, and indeed you work for, and we cannot wait to have Colin here. He's going to be a good old laugh, isn't he? Oh, absolutely, yeah, looking forward to it. I don't know him at all, so we forward to get to know him there. Uh, I've obviously been a fan of his work. Uh, yeah, I thought he was great on the snooker. It was a shame when he left. Um, but Rachel's doing a great job uh, since he's gone. But, uh, yeah, he's gone on to huge things. You know, hosting Countdown is massive. Um, one of the most famous guys in the country, really, when you're doing stuff like that. So what a coup we've got on here. And thanks to you for sorting that out. Well, can you? I can't believe we're going to have the presenter of Countdown on Talking Snooker. I mean, if you trace the long in his back, that goes back to to Richard Whiteley, twice nightly Whiteley. I mean, it's incredible <laughs> to think about it. You you know why he is twice nightly, won't you? Because you're in that patch. Oh, because he was on the news as well up here. He was on calendar exactly. I think it was Terry Wogan that gave him that monitor. I could be wrong by that, but um. I think it was. You put me on the spot there. That was a bit before my time. I pulled that out from somewhere. I don't think he was. I think he was doing that quite into the 90s. I was at York Uni in the 90s, and I think he was still on the calendar then. So you were. Maybe I can. My, I was my... more of a Harry Gration guy, I've got to say. Yeah, God. Yes, we another another fine, fine broadcaster we lost not so long ago. Yeah, yeah I'm very sad. I used to, yes, I used to enjoy Calendar when I was at York Uni. Krista uh, Ackroyd is someone else that comes to mind on that, and the yes. late and the late Mike Morris on there as well. Lots of lots of um, famous names from yesteryear. So we can't wait to have Colin Murray on here. He really is an entertaining character. So if you've got anything to ask Colin Murray, do contact us talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. And also a last call for any questions or points you want to make about Patsy Houlihan. I know quite a lot of you have written in saying how pleased you are uh, to know that Luke's coming on and will talk to us a lot more, give us some teasers about his book, about this great snooker character. But if you've got any stories yourself, please do pass them on. Talking snooker at yahoo.com or tweet or on Twitter uh, on our page there, Talking Snooker. That's it, I think, Phil. We, we, we've reached the end. The main story is, of course, Rob Milkins. What a brilliant snooker tale. How does this sport keep throwing up these stories? <laughs> I mean, we know the Welsh is a special tournament. we said that many times. But what helps is how many stories they throw us every year. You know, the last three have been... just gets better and better and better, doesn't it? And 
you know, we just, we, I think all of us were so, so pleased with Rob, just seeing the messages I'm getting in tonight to my Twitter and looking at the various boards. People were just delighted. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's a wonderful story. It just uh, seems like a universally popular character in snooker. Certainly every every dealing I've had with him has been absolutely excellent. So yeah, thrilled for him. And uh, I was thinking as we're getting towards, the, I was thinking that this season seems as unpredictable as any, even though last season we said it was the most unpredictable season. And last season we got to the World Championship and said, this is the most open World Championship ever. And uh, I think we say that quite often. <laughs> and I, I remember mentioning it to Mark Williams at the press day before the World Championship. And he said, well, it's not, is it? It's going to be one of the ones that always wins it. <laughs> and he was right. It was Ronnie Hussillivan. So I, I vowed not to get to this World Championship and say, oh, doesn't it seem like the most open World Championship ever? But it does look like it's going that way. So we'll see if I can stick to my bow or not. But yeah, it's been a wild season. It has. Just flick through my old diary here, Phil. Eight weeks to go until the greatest show in this sport. Can you believe it? The World Championship, eight weeks away. And, and what's great about it is how much we've got between now and then. The players mm. coming up now. We've got that WST Classic, of course, the event that replaced Turkey. The Tour Championship. All the world qualifiers, you know, our cup really will run us over and we were going to have lots of special guests as well. Big voices to come between now and Sheffield. Uh, starting off with Luke G. Williams and Colin Murray. So I think it's time for me to salute you and say I'll see you next week when we talk about Patsy Houlihan. Can't wait. Absolutely, yeah. Pleasure as always. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening and uh, enjoy the Players' Championship this week. Indeed. Special event to come uh, live on ITV4 in the UK. Check WST for for your viewing options uh, elsewhere. And uh, yes, enjoy the tournament. This is a really special time of the season, isn't it? We'll be back with Luchi Williams next Monday. We look forward to your company then. And Colin Murray coming soon to keep your questions coming in for both Luke and Colin. Uh, but for now, with congratulations to Rob Milkins for a famous victory in Wales. From Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.